Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14? Acts chapter 14. We're big about the Bible around here, and we want to hear what the Lord has to say. Uh, he never gets weary. He never tires. Um, he is always at work. I've been over the last uh, three Sundays been seeking to kind of lay some groundwork, some foundation work for us as we uh, then uh, really kind of get into some specifics related to the Acts series here that we're in beginning next week. And uh, there have been essentially four, two or three word statements that I've been seeking to build, remind us of. And the first one of those is one that we've been uh, in for a period of time as a church, and it's abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ. It's uh, Luke chapter 10, Martha, 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 sit down. You're anxious and you're needlessly consumed by things that I would really just rather have you here with me. Martha, sit down and abide with me. Along with that, John 15, uh, Jesus said, uh, you're the branches, I am the vine. Abide with me and I will abide with you. I mean, there is this great, grand yearning that God wants to do life with and in and through you and I. And there's an, an, a come to me, God. He, he desires that kind of relationship. And we want to be an increasingly people like that, an abiding in Christ people. And along with that, uh, a few Sundays ago, Acts chapter 13, I brought in this idea of spirit-dependent not only abiding in Christ, but a spirit-dependent people. It's a mindset. It's an abiding in Christ people have a mindset to where we are desperately dependent, as we essentially saying earlier, we're desperately dependent upon the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. This is not about us manning up and womaning up and muscling our way through things. This is ultimately about, oh, Spirit of God, we are dependent upon you. Do a work in me. Do a work in us and through us and around us. And it's a mindset, abiding in Christ, Spirit dependent. And then last Sunday, to our world, to our world, Acts 13, there is this radiant work of the glory of God in us that overflows into a radiant work of the glory of God out of us. And uh, it is first begins in and working in, and as a spirit-dependent, abiding in Christ, people continue to mature in the glory of who God is and what He is about. That just exudes from us. As we grasp who He is, we exude who He is. And it's to our world. And then today, a uh, statement, uh, doors of faith, doors of faith, this is part of the spirit-dependent mindset, and it has to do with really to our world as we are in and we serve and we work and we love on our world. There is this mindset of it is doors of faith, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what that is here in just a minute, but let me remind you out of Corinthians, Paul says, we plant, we water, but God gives the growth. Friends, this whole thing, I think, that I hope today, this Doors of Faith, is a refreshing, weight-lightening thing for you and I as we seek to love our world and do ministry in our world. Listen, 
God is the one who does the work. We pray, we turn knobs, if you will, in people's lives, and yet God is the one who does the work, I think does the work. We'll see that coming out. Abiding in Christ, spirit dependent to our world, doors of faith. So with that said, let's do this. Let's go to the end of the text that we're at today, and I almost never have us do that especially when it's narrative. It's kind of like when you go to a movie and someone tells you the end, and you're like, come on, man, I wanted to enjoy the process of getting there, and I want to go to the end, all right? Uh, Because I think understanding this term, doors of faith, it comes out of our text, and I want to show you verse 27. Uh, We'll see here Paul and Barnabas come back to their home church where they were sent out of from Antioch, Syria, verse 27. And when they arrived back, they gathered the church together and declared all that God had done with them. And here's how he describes essentially all that God had done with them. And how he, God, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Kind of grabbing that term here because that's what Paul uses and Barnabas used to essentially sum up their whole trip on what God was doing. So let me kind of put it in this way. Uh, The Lord opens doors of faith. So what Paul and Barnabas are saying is that their whole trip that they had when they entered Salamis and Cyprus, that was God doing a door of faith work. God opened those doors there. And then when they went to Paphos in Cyprus, God was opening that door of faith in Acts 13. Then when they entered Perga in Pisidia, modern-day Greek, uh, I'm sorry, modern-day Turkey, uh, that was God opening a door of faith there. That's what he's saying in chapter or in verse 27. Then when they entered Antioch Pisidia, where we were at the other week, uh, God opened a door of faith there. And then what we're going to see in chapter 14 today, when they go to Iconium, guess what? He sums it up, God's opening a door of faith there. Then when they go to uh, Lystra and Derba, or Derby, as we might say in English, uh, God opened a door of faith there. And then when they go to uh, Perga and Italia before they return to Antioch, God opened a what? Door of faith there. So let's uh, kind of grab a hold of all this. If that's the terminology that Paul and Barnabas used to kind of describe what God was doing, I- I'm going to grab it. And we're going to use that here. So today, Four purposeful actions that I think we can glean from Paul and Barnabas as we seek to be a people that are abiding in Christ to our world, loving in our world. So purposed action number one, purposefully positioned. Let's go to the beginning of the text, chapter 14, purposely positioned, verse 1. Now, at Iconium, uh, they come from Antioch, Pisidia, they're now in, at Iconium. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, uh, one of the things I'm highlighting here is something we just often kind of assume or we pass by very quickly. What's going on here? They're on a missionary trip. Uh, that's certainly the case. And we're learning from them as well as they're doing this. And one of the things is we see is they're positioning themselves. They're placing themselves around people with that. Uh, They're not running from people. They're they're, they're not avoiding people. They're not waiting for people to come to them. They are going to people and placing them strategically around people. Now, uh, if you, like I, I think all of us, we we realize that, uh, have you ever noticed people can be frustrating? Um, 
know, people can be slippery. Um, people can be messy. People can be disappointing. By the way, and I'm talking about God's people as well. They can be disrespectful. Just straight up people can be mean. Every one of us, I think, could write a dissertation on why we should not be around people. I mean, just look at our lives and the hurts and the kind of carnage from situations and times, disappointments, desertions that take place. But may I remind us that our Savior knew those as well, experienced those as well. And what did our God do? God so loved the world that he placed the second person of the Trinity among us. He didn't run from us. He didn't annihilate us. He could have. But he placed himself out of love for and grace, uh, his grace put himself among us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and provide for ourselves what we could not provide for ourselves. And God stepped in among people. And may I note, as we finish the gospel through Matthew series, uh, Matthew 28, that the one who stepped into a broken world around broken, hurtful, disappointing, deserting people, he was the one who also said he wants his people to do the same and to go and to make disciples. And I think it's just important in a moment here to realize Paul and Barnabas could have done something else. Paul could have been a very wealthy attorney at the time. But Paul gave it all up to be able to do what he's doing. And the call is not to give up your jobs and careers and do what Paul is doing, but, the, but we certainly glean from Paul that we're to be the kind of people that are positioning ourselves around people, just like our Savior did. By the way, Matthew 22, when, when the, the scribe comes and asks Jesus, hey, uh, uh, like, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, hey, I, I think I can answer that one for you. And he says, uh, what? Love God and love people. That's essentially what he says. And by the way, he, if you read through that in Matthew 22, he, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And he's like, I can't let that go. I can't leave that by itself because there is something else that is connected with that, and that's that you must love others. And by the way, both are connected. And oftentimes we, I at times, I want to love God and forget people. And yet the Lord says the two are connected together. As we abide in Christ, as we love the Lord, as our spirit dependent upon him, as we go to grasp the grandness of the glory of God, something comes out of us. And exuding out of us is the greatness of the glory of God on other people. And Jesus said, be that. By the way, love biblically is a verb. That means it's not just a feeling. It's not just a feeling you feel when you feel like you have a feeling. Um, by the way, the Godhead cannot love just by feeling. It's one of the reasons I hold strongly to Trinitarian view of who God is. If God is one being, you can't love. Ponder through that one. Just to say you are love, you're like, no, you're not. You can't do love until you are with. And a trinity loved one another. And that's why God is love. Because he, uh, it, the Godhead has exuded that. And it's the same thing for us. And by the way, note this. That God's love for you and I is not work-based. Because if that was the case, Jesus would never have come. Because we don't deserve it. But yet it's out of grace and it's the kind of thing for us that uh, 
We don't have God's love because you and I deserve it. We are provided God's love because he is grace and he acts and he loves and he has purposely positioned himself around us. And Paul and Barnabas, I'll just note here, purposely positioned. Secondly, they are purposely proclaiming. We haven't even got out of verse 1 yet. Notice latter half of verse 1. They place themselves in a synagogue. That's what they commonly do when they come into a town. And note, and spoke. They actually spoke. We talked about this last Sunday at the end of the synagogue process. Does anybody have a word? Paul and Barnabas got a text. And it's like, hey, you want to sp- say something? Oh, got it. I've got something to say. And they did. And in this, this is they spoke a purposeful proclaiming. Note it says they spoke in such a way. Kind of two, two comments on that. That's spirit-dependent gospel speaking. Again, it's this 1 Corinthians 3, 6 idea. We plant, we water, but who gives the growth? By the way, they spoke in such a way and I would say this, they, it kind of includes this idea. They spoke in such a way to let God do a work. It wasn't about their strength. It wasn't about their amazingness. It was kind of, they spoke in such a way, if you could, God was able to do a work. I was, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes you and I, we speak and we walk away and we just go, that stunk. I'm just going to be straight up with you. The last few Sundays, I just every Sunday I've walked away and I'm like, man, I don't know what it is. I'm just not on it. And sometimes that happens. And yet, here's the wonderful thing about it. It's not dependent on me. I mean, do the work, do the study, put the time in, absolutely, and that's been happening. But sometimes you walk away and you go, man, the oratory could have been a lot better on that one. You feel that way when times when you talk with people, interact with people, you walk away and it's like, man, I really stink at this. Hey, there's hope. Because we plant, we water, but God takes it and he works it. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God in people. They spoke in such a way also, I would just say this, they spoke in such a way that they were aware of who they were speaking to. Note, here in the beginning verses, just like last Sunday in Acts 13, they were in a context of a synagogue. They were around people who were already kind of like here. People who are here for a reason that they already have a desire. They want to know God. They're interested. You wouldn't be here other, other than that. You want to and you speak in such a way. And, and so you go in Acts chapter 13. You see how Paul spoke. And you come in Acts 14 here in just a minute where he's in a secular culture. And he speaks very differently. But either place is he's speaking. They're aware of their hearers. God is at work using it. Romans 10, uh, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. Every time we're able to communicate God's word and who God is with other people among us, outside of us, that's beautiful. Beautiful thing, beautiful thing. Purposely positioned, purposely, purposely proclaiming, and third, purposely, uh, pers- pur- too many P's going on, purposefully perfecting. Verse two and three. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. That's interesting, isn't it? So they, being Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time. 
know this, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, Paul and Barnabas will have completed their first missionary journey. You could read through chapter 13 and 14 and think, oh, that was probably three months, maybe four months, maybe six months. But actually, it was at least two years of time, most likely. Some even think it was four years of time. So when, when these times when, it, it, like last week in Antioch, Pisidia, they're there less than two weeks because they have to leave. But know this, when it has these statements, so they remain for a long time, that doesn't mean two weeks. That probably means they were there months and months and months and months. And why would they do that? Why would they stay so long? Answer, because they're not just raising converts, they're raising disciples, and there's a difference. They're not just raising converts, they're raising disciples. They're not just there to proclaim Jesus, have people receive Jesus, pat themselves on the back, put some more notches on their evangelism uh, belt, and then walk away feeling grand about themselves. No, 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 they're, they're not there for that because Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples. Uh, coming to know Christ as your Savior and receiving Christ as your Savior. By the way, weren't those baptism uh, testimonies just bam? with what's going on even in our children's lives. They get that. And when it comes a point where your name is written down in the, in the book, that's the time where it just begins there. It just starts there. Coming to know Christ begins a process, begins a life of walking with Christ, abiding with Christ. And here they are doing that. They don't want to just uh, come in, speak, leave, but biblically this idea of perfecting, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, just as you receive Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and up, build, it carries this idea even of perfecting. It's this completing, maturing, growing. It's Mark chapter 4. There should be fruit coming out of the seed received taking place. And that's what they're there doing, raising disciples. We're going to have more on that next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, a people strengthened, a people strengthened. So I'm going to kind of leave it there uh, with the perfecting. Let's keep reading verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, not, not like <laughs> Can we all agree stone, stoning someone is radical? I mean, that's how radical it was. They were going to stone them, verse 6. They learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, or Derby as you would kind of say in English, cities of uh, uh, Lyceonii. Even your pastor can't pronounce these words sometimes. Is there hope in that for you? Uh, Lysonia, uh, there we go, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. A couple things here. Um, as we position ourselves, as we proclaim, as we seek to even mature, know this, um, expect pushback. Expect pushback. Be prepared for pushback. See in verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. And in verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Then you get to verse 5, and an attempt was made to mistreat them and stone them. Um, never had that last item uh, attempted on me, and I doubt you have either. Uh, thank the Lord for that, at least so far. Um, but be prepared for pushback. 
Hey, friends, know this. As we go and we minister into people's lives, we're, we're, we're dealing in spiritual warfare reality. Okay, this is, this is no game. This is an eternal warfare thing that's going on. And when you're dealing in people's lives, man, there's, there's history in their lives, there's thinking, and there's all kinds of things that are taking place in their lives. And people will oftentimes push back. Expect that. Parents, have you ever noticed that with your kids pushing back? You know, maybe it's a spouse with Christ. Maybe it's your children with Christ. It's a community with Christ. Well, why are we shocked by pushback? No one likes that. No one likes to experience that. But that's part of what's going on. And if Paul and Barnabas experienced it, you can sure well plan that we're going to experience that as well. Be prepared for pushback. And then one other thing here, and we'll read much more of the text. Be prepared to be pedestalized. That's a new word. That's a Dougism right there. Be prepared to be pedestalized. What am I talking about? Let's go to the next city and let's see. And we're going to actually see these things that we've already talked about coming out. Verse 8. Now at Lystra, so this is a good distance away from where they were, uh, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Let me just say that again, by the way, to keep it in our minds, because the Scripture wants us to know that. Luke wants us to know that. That this man never walked. Verse 9, and he listened to Paul speaking. By the way, so he's in, he's in another town now. He's not in Iconium. He's in Lystra. And in this town, this is a, a different setting. He's not in the synagogue. This is uh, most likely Paul and Barnabas are out in the community. They're out on the town square. And so this individual most likely is, is, has never been able to walk. And, and in a culture, in a career world back then, had no means of income. So most likely was begging. And, and the whole community had known of him throughout his whole life there and he's a man now and and this man is sitting there and Paul and Barnabas are likely in the community square communicating the gospel and he listened to Paul speaking that's cool people will listen and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well I don't know what's going on there, but clearly the Spirit of God is allowing Paul to know something about this guy sitting there. Something was going on. And look at this. This is really cool. Verse 10. And so Paul said in a loud voice out in the community, probably people all around, stand up on your feet. The guy knew who he was talking to. And look at this. I have the English Standard Version. And he sprang up. Boing. <laughs> that's kind of the idea of it. It's not like this guy's like, what? And they had a conversation, and this is going on. But it's like this guy who has never, ever, ever taken a step in his life, cannot walk <laughs> in this. He's paying attention to Paul. Paul sees something is going on. I don't fully know that's just what the text tells us. And Paul says, stand up and boing, the dude's up. I mean, can we all agree God's at work there? How cool is that? Oh, by the way, verse 11. And when the crowd saw, by the way, notice how Luke states it, what Paul had done. And that is a true statement. But we do know this, right? 
we water, we plant, but, okay? But they are what I would call in a secular culture, and they are seeking, seeing that Paul did this, because essentially from their perspective he did what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices saying in Lysonian, Lysonian uh, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. <laughs> Can you just see Paul and Barnabas right at that moment going, what? Let's keep reading. Verse 12, is, I think it gets even more hilarious in some ways, sad than a lot of others. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes. Why? Because he was the chief speaker. And so they are literally in this culture, in the city, they're not in the synagogue, where this miraculous event takes place, and the people are looking, that's Zeus, Zeus in the flesh. That's Hermes in the flesh, the voice of Zeus. That is a secular culture. That is a secular culture. Well, let's keep reading. Uh, uh, verse 13, And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, he brought ox and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to the crowds. Now, wouldn't you think that the priest of Zeus would be going, um, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to work. He's actually going, It is! The priest of Zeus is going, this is Zeus, and he's bringing things in for them to have a sacrifice before these two gods in their minds. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news. I love this. He grabs it. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God. By the way, small groups, I would really encourage you in your small group meeting to possibly have a consideration. Take a look at Acts 13 and how Paul talks to those who are in a religious place and how he now talks to people who are in a secular place. It's very different. History of what God has done. Now he's informing them who God is. And he's a living God, not a dead God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Uh, yet, Paul goes on, he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. I think it's funny. Um, be prepared to be pedestalized. There are times when um, you can come alongside someone, love on them, teach on them, and you become pedestalized in their minds. Be careful. Friends, we live in a secular culture. It's time to admit that here in America. If you've been to Scotland and you know the history, we, number of teams going over there, you understand the history. We are on the track to being what Scotland is, doing ministry in a world where there is not an assumption that there is a God, and if, even if there is, why would you do anything with him? We live in a culture that is that. In fact, Andrew Root, 
said this article I just read this week. He said, we now live in a time where the very idea that God is real and present in our lives is no longer accepted. Indeed, it is widely contested. Belief has been made fragile. Now grounded in the material, the tangible, the rational realm, we've lost the sense that the ordinary flow out of life has has meaning. The rituals of our lives don't seem to point to anything greater anymore. This becomes both our challenge and our possibility as we enter a new chapter in the life of the church. Doing ministry to a religious culture, decades past in America, to doing ministry in a secularized culture in our present are done differently. Same God, but people are at a different place. They're at a different place in their thinking and their understanding and their willingness to even interact. And we need to realize that. So a couple things here uh, that uh, Paul does out of this and Barnabas do out of this. Uh, I'll say this, warning, we can pedestalize ourselves. In a secular culture, it gets easier and easier to pedestalize ourselves. By the way, uh, in our day, and rightfully so, there's been a lot of conversation about, um, uh, I'll say, um, proclaimer worship and uh, pastor celebrityism and various things. But know this, that's not a new thing. That was all the way back in Acts 14 as well. It's not a new thing. And by the way, it's not just a large church thing, it's a small church thing as well. Oh, and by the way, it's not just a pastor thing, it's a layperson thing too. Because you can have the same uh, mindset of yourself as you do ministry with other people here, with teens, with students, with small group. You're thinking you're really awesome as a leader, and I'm like, every time I leave as a small group leader, I'm like, I stink at this. And yet in it, it's the kind of thing, be careful, be careful you don't pedestalize yourself thinking you're awesome, thinking you got it together, thinking you're the greatest thing for people around you. Be careful, and I say that because look what Paul and Barnabas did. They tore their garments, and uh, what that is, is that saying, no, that is kind of a personal declaration. There is no truth in that. Friend, Be careful that you don't make yourself awesome. Be careful that you don't allow other people to make yourself awesome and to allow what they say to get to where you're like, you know, they're kind of right. We never say that publicly, but are we holding it there? Be careful. Paul and Barnabas hear this and they tear their garments and I think as a personal declaration before God, God, I am not going to accept any of that. Listen, do we encourage? Do we show appreciation? Absolutely we should, and that's biblical. But when we begin to internalize it and pedestalize ourselves in our own minds, be careful. By the way, we can do the same thing in pedestalizing not only ourselves but others. Appreciate others. Encourage others. Thank God and thank them for that. But don't pedestalize them. The church in Corinth had a problem with that. In fact, listen, 1 Corinthians 1. Paul says, each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he or she who plants or he or she who waters is anything. But only God gives the growth. Be careful. And I'm speaking to myself as well. And by the way, one of the things to note here that what Paul and Barnabas do is when Paul speaks here, he makes small of him and big of God. Small me, big God. Everybody say that. Small me, big God. Look at the text. Verse uh, 15. He says that God is the living God. By the way, he's in a city where there's dead gods all over the place. Oh, by the way, we live in a place where there are dead gods all over the place. They are just look differently. And yet people are running after them, worshiping them. And watch our own hearts. God is the living God. Verse 15. God made the heaven, the earth, the seas, and all that is in them. And then he makes big of God. Verse 16. God is the one who has allowed things to happen. Verse 17. uh, God left himself a witness. That's Romans 1. I think he's referencing that idea. Listen. You can just look and see that there is a God. And all are without excuse because of it. There is a God, and God has left himself a witness. And then in 17 as well, God's done good because God is good. By the way, isn't it interesting in our culture how the big question nowadays, I think when you get in a secular culture, when you get to a place where what's the big question on the table? The big question on the table is God is not good. And the question is, is how can that be a good God when all these bad things happen? And you and I understand that question. We wonder that question at times as well. But it's upside down thinking. Because the fact of the matter is, is if we understood the story of what God, who God is and what God has done and where we live, we would be thinking, why in the world does anything good ever happen? We live in a sin-cursed, sin-depraved world. That's why bad things happen. And the fact that anything ever good, ever, ever, ever happens on this planet is only because God has not pulled himself away. So why doesn't he just like get it going faster and get it to what it's supposed to be? Hey, that's why he sits on the seat and you and I don't. But until that time... He's God. And in this, this is kind of what Paul is doing. He's, he's, he's interacting with a secular thinking. and remind, God is the living God. Not a living God, the living God. And God is a good God. And he's helping them to understand. Purposely positioned, purposely proclaiming, purposefully uh, perfecting. Uh, be prepared for pushback. Be prepared to be pedestalized. See the rest of the chapter here, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. By the way, that's a good distance away. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. It's interesting when we read the scripture sometimes, we see that and we just kind of like go right on. Not with a moment to stop. 
And I, 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 I will not get gruesome in this, but I will just say this. They stoned him. That means stones thrown, hitting, to kill. I'll leave it there. I've never had anything close to that happen. Thank God. But they stoned him. They dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. That was the purpose of it, by the way. They wanted him dead. But get a load of this. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. Is that not like a Terminator moment, you know, in that? Listen, I, I don't know exactly all what that is, what's going on there, but I am sure he had bruises. But I, I was able to have some time to do some cleaning in our garage, um, doing some work there. And I'm like, I do some cleaning out of the garage, and I need a day to recover. And here he is stoned to the point where they drag him out of the city, literally thinking he's dead. And, and God does something there, Agreed. And on the next day, on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. <laughs> what a stud. Oh, but God is awesome, not Paul. Right? Yes. Verse 21, And when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. This is the perfecting work. This is the strength. And friends, they went back to where they had come. And they went back there, why? To strengthen them, to uh, encourage them, uh, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. By the way, the, the whole conversation of pro, uh, gospel prosperity today, come to Jesus and everything's going to be fantastic. I'm just saying, it's heresy. Paul, if he were here and he heard that, he would be like, what in the world are you talking about? In fact, sometimes coming to Christ means a hard life. In fact, Paul says, be aware, be ready. There are going to be many tribulations. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Listen, they're positioning churches, local churches around, coming back, strengthening them. Again, we'll, we'll hit on that next week more out of the text of uh, Acts 15. But they're doing this strengthening, discipling work, positioning God's people, and in it, spirit-dependent, knowing that God is going to do a work in each of those cities where they've been and then the last item, purposely praising. Verse 24, then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia on the coast, and from there they sailed back home. That's basically what's going on. They sailed back home to Antioch, where they had been commended by the, to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Verse 27, and when they arrived at home, they gathered their church together and they declared all that God had done with them over the last two to four years. 
okay? They've been gone a while. God's certainly been doing a work at the church in Syria there uh, that's going. They're back home, and they're telling what God has been doing with this and uh, declared all that God had done with them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Can you just imagine that picture? They're thinking about this. Paul and Barson, they're just their hearts are just overflowing with praise over this. And they're thinking, you know, all of these places, all of these places, God has been at work. God's the one who's opening doors. We're just placing ourselves there. And we're just proclaiming there that while we're there. And we're seeking to mature people. But God's the one that's been doing the work. I gotta tell you, friends, that makes the, the load and the weight of doing ministry both full-time as well as in all of our lives full-time with whatever we do, it makes it so much lighter. Friends, let's place ourselves, let's proclaim, and let's grow people knowing this. God's the one who opens doors. Not by my skill, not by your skill, not by my wisdom, not by your wisdom, but by God. By the way, that means when we turn the knob on the door, if you will, of someone's life, and it's like we can't see if it's locked or open. But we're turning the knob, and when it's locked, probably the best thing is don't stand at the door and beat it down. Get on your knees, pictorially, in front of this door, if you will, before the Lord. Oh, God, do a work. I can't unlock this. Oh, God, do a work. Maybe that's the case for your children. Maybe that's the case for your spouse. Maybe that's the case for your friends. Or uh, maybe that's the case for family. Maybe that's the case for coworkers. That in our own minds, we are seeing them as doors that God loves dearly. And we have been placing ourselves in those doors, proclaiming even through those doors. But God, you got to do a work. I just love that imagery. And in it, we praise God for what He does, right? Let's just take a couple closing minutes here and kind of think this way. Let's bring it this way. Let's bring all of Acts 14 to our present central Indiana world. Because this is where it's happening, right? Particularly with all the news right now. Um, This is where God has sovereignly placed us. This is where we live. And there are all kinds of good churches, gospel teaching, Jesus-loving, vertical-seeking churches throughout central Indiana. But but we're one of those, by God's grace, and we need to think of ourselves right here, even this morning right now, even in our kids' ministry right now, student ministries later tonight. We need to look at that as that we're placing ourselves there. And God, we, we, would you do a work as we proclaim here in this room? I don't know what's going on in your life. But, but it's like, oh God, would you do a work in opening doors? Would you do a work uh, together? And when we think that way, it just takes the stress off of us and puts it where it should be. It's in God's lap. And then when we go out of uh, just doors of faith inside, we, we think doors of faith outside, beyond us, uh, seeing our neighborhoods, our schools, our cities, our communities, seeing them, if I will, with eyes 
looking at doors of faith opportunity. God, where are they? I'm going to turn knobs, and Lord, you're going to open them as you open them. All around, engaged throughout, with God's people in other churches and other places. Lord, you're at work. And then each Sunday we get to get together and we kind of corporately get to praise the Lord for what God is doing. By the way, not just in us and through us, but through all that God is doing, right? Doors of faith. Abiding in Christ, spirit-dependent to our world with eyes of doors of faith. God, open them. God, open them. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the example of Paul and Barnabas, for the people in that time who you are drawing, you are sealing, you are empowering. God, the people that you are raising up in the cities then that we get to see Paul and Barnabas engaged with and we get to learn from them. We get to see them. And uh, Lord, it's the same story today. Here we are, a church, on the west side of Indianapolis. And Lord, we want for you to do a work in our lives. Oh God, we want to grasp a hold of your glory in the kind of way that it exudes out from us. And so when we go home, when we're in the car, when we're at school, when we're at work, when we're involved with our neighbors and our communities, Lord, as we abide with you, I pray that we would have minds that are to our world, seeing people as valuable, as doors of faith opportunities that we get to turn knobs and pray for and proclaim to. God, might we be people who strategically and purposely place ourselves and proclaim who you are And God, you take it from there. And so we take this time now, we can think of 10,000 reasons to rejoice, and so we're going to sing about it. God, we praise you in your name. Amen.